Hey everyone, so there's not going to be a new episode this week because of, uh, you know, the holidays. Uh, we'll be back with regular episodes on January 18th, but for now we have a review of the Everyday Heroes game system with Eli, Eric, and Ashley. Hey everybody, this is how I'm going to talk through the whole episode. Except you're not. Pull your mic against your face. I was going to say, no. could you not? <laughs> I don't want to pull it next to my face. You can hear me just fine. I'm worried about an echo because you were a foot and a half away from it. It wasn't a foot and a half. So I actually can't pull it closer to my face. That's fine. We're going to be uh, me, Eli, a GM, Eric, also a GM, and Ashley, a player. Um, not a GM. Not a GM. Hmm. We're going to uh, talk about and give our thoughts on everyday heroes. That is the sound of me tearing off a little label and crumbling it in my hands and throwing it at Ashley. Making this apartment dirtier. Absolutely. So everyday heroes is the successor to D20 modern. I know Ashley has never played D20 modern. Have you ever played it, Eric? I, in fact, have. Uh, I played two games in D20 Modern. The first was a uh, game that was set in the uh, Fallout universe. Um, and the second one was a... Um, it was like a... Uh, I don't even really know how to describe it. It was like a sci-fi martial arts thing. Yeah. I, it, was a, it was a one-shot, so I mean, I can't remember yeah. exactly what it was, but... Yeah, I've played mostly Urban Arcana and like apocalyptic, you know, post-apocalypse style stuff. Um, kind of like you were saying Fallout, but D20 Modern used the same rules as third edition Dungeons and Dragons because, you know, it was a you cannot copyright rules for a game. Uh, which is why we have Everyday Heroes, which has been updated with a 5th edition style play. The biggest, using Dungeons & Dragons as a reference point, the uh, like some of the stuff that Ashley would be very familiar with is uh, classes and subclasses. Mm-hmm. Am I right in saying you'd be familiar with that? Yeah, like, okay. like when you multi-class and stuff like that, right? Is no. that what you're talking about? I'm talking about like um, your character Jane was a monk, but you were a way of the open hand monk. Yeah. Okay, I understand. Yeah. So something D20 Modern had was your the classes were just like strong hero, agile hero, or fast and tough and smart and wise, you know, all that stuff. Because each class is based around a single one of the six ability scores now everyday heroes calls the classes archetypes and the subclasses classes i don't know why well i think yeah it's it's partially that and partially because um in D &D, you your class is sort of your defining feature um whereas in this your archetype is just the type of hero you are and your class is specifically what you're good at. Yeah. So like, I, I feel like they're, they're using that to kind of differentiate between um, 
D&D where it's like your class is your defining feature and your subclass is just kind of what type of thing you are mm-hmm. versus, you know, in this yeah. where it's. Yeah, yeah I, I, that makes sense to me. Terminology wise, most of it's pretty much the same, except uh, what we would if you were coming to this game from Dungeons and Dragons instead of armor class, it's defense. Um, and later on in the discussion, we'll talk about if because Everyday Heroes is a, um, you know, whereas D&D doesn't really flavor well in a uh, even urban arcana, it has a weird uh, scaling to it. So everyday heroes, I think like my first impression of it was, Oh, cool. Now I can run like a cool urban arcana thing. That's not savage worlds. Cause I love savage worlds, but, uh, even their like arcana stuff gets real weird. So one of the first things with this book, um, is that, that I love is that, on page 24 is a list of all the archetypes and classes and they are rated on their simplicity from simple to complex which if you are a new player is phenomenal well uh, and it, it plays into the the whole thing that they have with character creation which like their character creation is set up in what they call a hero in six steps where it's literally like a six step plan essentially of creating your character yeah yeah and it honestly i i it would probably be harder to quantify in something like D, but i do wish that more games that had classes were like hey this is the simplest one do you think that would make character creation easier for you ashley if if that was the case if it was just like in six different steps instead of like 20 no. <laughs> what? <laughs> Looking at her, put her phone down. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I was saying that Everyday Heroes has a like complexity label for each one of the classes and subclasses or the archetypes and classes. Oh, yeah, that'd be. Do really you think nice. that would make like D and D a lot easier when you first Abs- started? Absolutely, because. They're not labeled with, oh, what's going to be more complex? You just, because you were a good DM, were like, these are the ones that I would suggest since you're a new player, like fighter or there's some other class you mentioned. Fighters and rogues, I personally consider, for Dungeons and Dragons, I personally consider to be the simplest Mm -hmm. classes to play. So you had said to do something similar to that, which we ended up making yeah um and it made it a lot easier to start with and as the character leveled up things could get a little more i think i can't remember what we did with margo but as we leveled her up i just know it got more it got stuff. more complicated yeah. but um i mean even when it comes to this as you level up it still gets more comp there's more stuff it's nice though to start with something super simple and not have to remember it all when you're yeah. just starting out brand new to something and then adding things as you go along it makes it easier than starting off with all these things you have to keep track of like if i had played a spellcaster i probably as a first time player i probably would have been like yeah no i'm done yeah because there's a lot to keep track of 
if you're not used to it. Well, in your Eric, I think it's fair to say that we're rules nerds. Yeah. Um, to an extent, like I I I improvise a lot of things, but I do like to the rules I like, I like to double down on. Like, well, I guess when I say rules nerd, I more mean like we like to know the rules. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like I, I like to have a very good grasp of the system. Yeah. And our brains are really piled in into the direction of we are we know what the rules are and ashley's brain i think it's fair to say is not geared in that oh absolutely not i'll open a game and try to find a cliff notes version of the rules inside of it yeah and that's why D was overwhelming because there was so it's a whole book and i'm like there's no cheat sheet yeah what the fuck is this yeah i mean to give an example, I'll open things that have instructions to hang things. And I'm like, oh, here's the screws. Let me just put this in the wall. Oh, I don't need a stud finder. It's fine. Oh, it's not straight. Oh, that's that's fine. It's hanging on the wall. I'd yeah. say that's how I play games, too, if I'm left to my own devices. That feels fair. <laughs> and it's I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, um, when it comes to certain types of games, right? It, it, one of the reasons that I really love uh, sort of rules light systems like Fate and and Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds isn't really rules light, but it's not crunchy. Um, yeah. But uh, is because I like a lot of interpretation. Like I like to be a little more freeform with things, but I do like. Dungeons and Dragons, especially fifth edition, and by extension, this system, because it I feel like everyday heroes takes the the fifth edition foundation and it changes enough of the things about the system that I don't like and kind of adds these little bits into it that make it feel not only not only like its own thing, because this game, while it does have kind of that fifth edition foundation, it does really like if you read through the rules, it feels like its own thing, like its own own game that's built upon the foundation of this this yeah, other thing it like, does not feel reading through this it does absolutely does not feel like it's like oh well this is D, but there's like cars and guns it's like no this is a you know what it feels like it feels like this is a game absolutely designed to be able to play action heroes because it um, i it, think it, that'll it, come across more as we get more into the weeds of it but that's yeah. that's my impression yeah, it does a lot of things to make take that heroic fantasy setting that is D and D and turn it into a heroic modern setting. Yeah, and like we mentioned before, the your uh, oh, actually, before we move on from the simple and complex things, most of the uh, classes are moderate. They're kind of on a midway point, but two out of the three tough hero classes are simple and all of the smart hero classes are complicated uh, which I we're not going to go into a huge amount of detail I think on a lot of these but when I read through the smart hero stuff I was like yeah this is wild this is a lot yeah it's a lot of like um, using things to your advantage and like being creative with your skills and the abilities that you're given as a smart hero 
to essentially maximize your party's efficiency and also to like boost their efficiency. Yeah. And we, we mentioned before everyday heroes has the same uh, six skills that Dungeons and Dragons has strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, charisma. And you can determine your ability scores in a very similar way. There's a standard array, there's point by, and then there's rolling. Um, I don't think we really need to go any further than that. And then the next thing I want to get onto is the backgrounds. Cause I like the fact that there are no species in everyday hero. Like I can, I'm sitting here thinking I could easily do like, um, uh, what, what was the movie we watched? There was all kinds of fantastical creatures, but magic was pretty much gone. Tom Holland and Chris Pratt did voices. Oh, onward. Onward. Great this movie. this game would be It'd phenomenal be for an onward. Perfect for onward. Have you watched there's... that, Eric? Uh, I have seen bits of it, but I have not watched the entire. Thing. You should. It's very fun. But you you understand the premise of it. Yeah. There's all these magical creatures, but nobody really has magic anymore. Yeah. But I I like that your ability score bonuses are determined by your backgrounds and your professions. So I want to talk about, so like, instead of choosing, cause we're, we're going to be comparing it to Dungeons and Dragons a lot, just because that's a, a pretty ubiquitous game. I think most of our listeners are going to know what that system is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, instead of picking like your race and or species now and your um, uh, background of like, oh, what were you doing before you became an adventurer? You are instead, you have your background, which is what led you to the point you are now, and your profession, which is what you are actually still doing. Backgrounds give you some languages, skill proficiencies, ability score bonus, uh, equipment proficiencies, and some suggested equipment. Uh, Eric, did you have a specific background that like really jumped out at you as it sounded like a really fun one to do? <laughs> Uh, as a matter of fact, there was, let me find it here, the customer service background. Well, that's a, a profession. Oh, excuse me, a profession. Sorry, the background was, uh, where was that? Uh, activist. It was the activist background, yeah. where it's basically like you have this sort of calling to a political or social cause, and it's essentially made you good at reading and or influencing people. Yeah. So like it, not only do you get the advantage of like, if you are wise or uh, persuasive charisma, charismatic hero, you get the bonus obviously of your wisdom or charisma score being increased, but you also gain the social skills, you know, the iconic equipment, which is the little like flavor items that you get, but the political speech special feature which uh, gives you advantage on persuasion checks made to promote a cause or convince people to support it. Yeah. The special features are fun, which are basically the same thing as the features on backgrounds in Dungeons and Dragons, except more useful, I would argue. Yeah. yeah. They've, they've obviously gone um, with sort of a, 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 an in-between of the old background system from the original release of Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition and the new like backgrounds from the new like one D thing. This is somewhere in the middle. 
in terms of like their not only their power but also like their kind of uh usefulness yeah yeah the iconic equipment is fun because it's generally pretty meaningless stuff but it's just fun for flavor like ashley the activist their iconic equipment is an old campaign button and a bullhorn <laughs> um the two that i that really jumped out at me the one that i thought ashley would have the most fun where she building a character right now is larper <laughs> uh, you spent your weekends pretending to be a warrior of a past area era wizard vampire or the like while the pastime didn't necessarily prepare you for modern life it did give you some unusual skills um if you are a stronger or agile hero this is a good background to take because you get a plus one to either your strength or dex um and the iconic equipment is a badass costume and some foam covered sticks that's just so much fun yeah and the some boffers some boffers and mm-hmm. it is cool the, the special feature um you have advantage on deception checks to appear dead or wounded mm. which is such a weird one where I've I've played games where I'm like, I need to trick these, like, I, I want them to come towards us to ambush them. I'm going to pretend to be injured. Or during a Prismatic Guard, I think it was, you guys pretended to be a vulnerable caravan to lure some people to attack you. I don't remember that. Then maybe it was a different thing. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> doing that. Um, <laughs> or maybe it was before I came on, though. Might have been, but the other one that was most interesting to me was rural family you grew up outside of the cities and among straightforward honest folk uh learn the value of hard work and practical skills it's good for strong or tough heroes um you get two most a lot of these you have a choice of skill proficiencies you get you get one skill proficiency and you choose between a couple of things um but rural family you just get mechanics and survival and it doesn't have a special feature, but your icon- iconic equipment is an old pickup truck that still runs great. Hmm. Um, so there, and then of course there is also at the end of the background section. What I, one thing I really like is like, hey, none of these really fit what you were going for. Here are the four things that a background has to make it a background. You know, the four mechanical things, which is nice because like. In a lot of other systems, I'll see stuff like that. And I'm like, well, this isn't, this is like a broad strokes, what these things mean. And I'm the kind of person where I'm like, no, 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 I need a quantifiable thing. <laughs> um, and you said professions, the one that really jumped out at you was the customer service. Yeah, because I've been in customer service in my entire life. And this is almost to a word what customer service is like. Yeah. It is a hundred percent like I I honestly don't think they could have done a better job of giving a quantifiable mechanical definition in a tabletop role-playing game of what customer service is. The <laughs> the first sentence, actually the first sentence of customer service, uh, or rather before the first comma, is you work on the front lines of capitalism. Fuck that yeah they want to sit there you work on the front lines what you do i know but i i i work customer service too and i hate the whole uh you know during the pandemic people are like you know saying all that shit oh, no. that, and that's not what they're referencing they're referencing the fact I, that 
I know. People on the front lines are the ones who are getting chewed up. And I know. Spit out and used up. I'm I'm aware, but it's yeah. the whole, you know, praise yeah. and then and then actually no, you're one of the people that's chewing me out for yeah. whatever. That that's the point. Yeah. Yeah, it makes me mad. <laughs> um, so professions introduce um because everyday heroes doesn't use money. Uh, not in the way that like D&D does or a lot of other systems do. Oh, good, because I hate keeping track of that bullshit. We'll it's go into stupid. greater detail about it uh, later, but you get a wealth level from your uh, or rating. They call it wealth level, but it might as well be wealth rating, but that's from the uh, your profession. It's on a scale of zero to six. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the ones, the one that really jumped out to me that I thought was really, really cool was the journalism. Um, Cause it's also cool. There's all of your professions are like generalized things. And then they have like examples of what that could mean. So, you know, if you're a journalist, maybe you're an investigative reporter or a blogger or photojournalist or a paparazzi. Mm-hmm. And that's a wealth level too. So if you're working in journalism, you're not making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it's also fun. One of the backgrounds is um, um, where is it? where are you? Hold on, just so independent, and it's literally your character is independently wealthy. <laughs> you you can just make up whatever way that you happen to be wealthy. Um, yeah, I mean, sample careers, uh, dilettante, trust fund kid, well off pensioner, or retiree. That's rad. Like some of the examples. That's really rad. But yeah, it's very fun. Uh, Also, crime is an option (laughs) for your profession. Oh, that's that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daredevil, athlete, counseling. Uh, It's a lot of really fun stuff. And of course, just like with backgrounds, when you get to the end of it, it has a very specific way to be like hey here's how we build professions and um so now that we're at the point where we can talk about archetypes i think it's important to note that everyday heroes only goes up to level 10 um and i remember reading uh, i don't know if it was in the book or if it was part of the kickstarter where they talked about how um, they just didn't really see the need for it to go to level 20. But I also know that in the original D20 Modern, everything only went up to level 10. Hmm. Um, I don't remember why, but I do remember that. Maybe I'm making that up. I I believe that the original release was only to level 10. And then I think that some of the um, books that were released later, like the setting books, some of them actually had the ability to go above 10th level, but it was specific to those books. So like you used the default book to like the level 10 or whatever. And then I think there, there were also some other things for like lower level stuff. Like they added uh new talents and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that might be something we see later. Like if this really takes off and uh, they might release more um, setting books that go beyond uh, 10th level. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I kind of like that it only goes up to 10th level. I mean, you and I have expressed in the past that uh, 
if you if you really want your campaigns to go up to level 20 and they're not give your players more levels yeah i mean you you really have to work to get above like 13th level is usually about where it starts to kind of run dry you really have to work to get above that and so cutting it off at 10 i feel like for most stories is more than more than enough yeah so when it comes to the archetypes uh i have always been partial to the strong heroes because i would one day like to be a strong boy (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm let's talk about the strong hero a little bit before we move on to any of the others um all of the all of the um archetypes have some stuff that's like very specific to them uh and in the case of the strong hero it is reckless attack which is uh at the start of your turn you can declare your attacks reckless and thus you have an advantage uh on your attack rolls with melee weapons but your enemies have advantage on attack rolls against you and then power attack you can choose to take a minus five penalty on your attack roll to get a plus 10 to damage. Um, But you can't combine reckless attack and power attack. And that's like a thing that all strong heroes have. Um, And also every even numbered level, all of the uh, archetypes get a feat either two minor feats or one major feat, and we'll go into more detail on that later. But uh, as far as the classes, the only strong hero one I really want to talk about right now is the Brawler, uh, which at level 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9, the Brawler gets different stuff. And the Brawler is is just a... Uh, like, the, the quote for the class is, if brute force ain't working... You're just not using it enough. <laughs> um, and, you know, you you double the range of thrown weapons. Uh, you have advantage to break shit. Um, your fists are armor, or really any melee attack is going to be armor penetrating. Uh, rampage, you can move up to your speed and uh, fuck somebody up. And you have advantages in foot chases and, you know, various things like that. Um, They also have a smash ability, which allows them to just do once per turn, do extra damage with a melee weapon or even more damage if they're also power attacking. Dang. Yeah. They are just, and their capstone ability, you know, their, their final thing is that uh, all of their melee weapons do one extra damage die. Mm. You know, so if you're using a knife, you know, it's a D4. Well, when you're using a knife, it's 2D4, which is fucking cool. Um, Eric, was there a particular archetype and and class you wanted to talk about? Yeah, the one the one that really stood out to me was the uh, Scrapper from the Tough Heroes. <laughs> yes um because the scrapper is basically that 
that character in every action movie. He's like John McClane, right? From from Die Hard. No matter how much punishment they've <laughs> taken, they just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and like the the craziest thing, I think uh all of the tough heroes have have a, some really cool abilities, like uh just straight up damage reduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, against all damage types. Yeah, which starting is, at second level, you were just taking, no matter what kind of damage it is, is less damage. Yeah. Um, and actually, so something we did, uh, I, I forgot and we kind of glossed over, is that every archetype has its own specific way of calculating defense. Yep. Um, in D&D, if you're not wearing any kind of armor, your whole deal is uh, it, it's 10 plus your dexterity modifier, unless there's other shit going on. Well, to use the tough hero as an example, your defense is 10 plus your constitution or your dexterity plus your defense bonus because every archetype gets a defense bonus. And the uh, tough hero actually gets a higher defense bonus uh, per level than the other classes because you know tough hero yeah they're tough um the tough hero is also a little bit unique um i i think some of the other archetypes are like this but to go back to the strong hero the strong hero does not get the option of using their dexterity for their defense so the tough hero is strength or, or their constitution or their dexterity whichever is higher whereas the strong hero it's just their strength um, but let's talk about the scrapper because I also really like the scrapper. <laughs> I just like that it's called the scrapper. I like the quote on it. Uh, I bleed, I smile, I laugh. Life is a joke and suffering is the punchline. Jesus Christ. <gasps> With a picture of a man who has gotten the absolute dog shit beaten out of him. Ashley's sitting across from me. Look at that. Oh, damn. Yeah. <gasps> Absolute dog shit kicked out of him, spitting blood out of his mouth and making that like, all right, let's keep going motion. The the thing that I think is the most uh, sort of um, evocative of the Scrapper as a class is the fact that they basically get, for those of you who played fourth edition, the fighters uh, fighters challenge feature and for fifth edition, it's basically the Cavaliers uh, challenge feature, which is uh, enemies that take the disengage action provoke attacks attacks of opportunity. Uh, enemies within reach that attack one of your allies also provoke attacks of opportunity. And when you damage an opponent with an opportunity attack, their speed becomes zero. So you basically become the bottleneck of the battlefield because nobody can get past you. <laughs> yeah. I also like... Uh, they have what is functionally a barbarian's rage and that when combined with their uh, an ability called with interest uh, they can deal additional damage like uh, you know oh that person hurt me before well I'm going to deal even more damage to them or hey I hit you with an opportunity attack here's some extra damage Um, they also get an ability that's functionally uncanny dodge they can use their reaction to have damage that's been dealt to them and then their ultimate 
their like capstone ability is the uh, same thing as uh, the brawler, is they deal ex- they deal double uh, weapon damage. And I wanted to talk about what I thought would be, because um, Ashley has not looked over this book at all because that kind of thing does not interest her. <laughs> I mean, if it's got pretty pictures, yes. I will say the artwork in this book is fucking beautiful. Yeah. So I'm interested in artwork. Yeah. But because I know you, I know that you like to go fast. Absolutely. So I thought you would be interested in the Agile Hero, which is uh, dexterity based. And all Agile Heroes have advantage on initiative rolls. And they can... uh, take the dash or disengage action as a bonus action. Nice. Um, oh, speedy. And the subclass I thought you would have the most fun with, or the class I thought you'd have the most fun with, is martial artist. Mm-hmm. The quote is, I'm going to kick your stupid ass into next week if you don't put that gun down and back the hell up. That sounds right. Their big thing is they get martial arts, so your uh, unarmed strikes, instead of being a D4, become a D6. Mm-hmm. And you treat all weapons that don't have the heavy property as if they had the finesse property, which means that you can use your dexterity instead of your strength as your attack with nice. it. Nice. Um, and you, they also gain the ability to make unarmed attacks as a bonus action. Mm-hmm. Um, they get an ability literally called parkour, and it does exactly what you think an ability called parkour would do. That's rad. I really like that. Yeah. Um, they get an ability called advanced combat training, which is basically extra attack. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody, most of the other stuff does not get extra attack. Um, mm-hmm. So martial arts is pretty unique in that regard, where if they if you take the attack action, you get to attack twice. Nice. Um, and their capstone ability is you can make two unarmed strikes as a bonus action. I like that. Yeah. Um, they get evasion. Um, level seven. I love the advanced martial arts on this, which is your unarmed damage goes from a D6 to a D8. But you now treat all melee weapons as if they had the finesse property, which is the equivalent of a monk just swinging a great sword around. Oh, that's cool. That's really cool, actually. The second, or I guess at this point, the fourth archetype I wanted to talk about, because I like to play either strong characters or uh, very charming characters. Or both. Or both. But the charming heroes uh, are real cool. And their abilities, like you have a thing called um, influence die, and you can use them on different things. And you also have tricks. And at higher levels, you have a few other options there. Um, but they also get an ability called charm, where when you make a charisma check after rolling, but before determining the result, you can re-roll, or you can roll an influence die and add it to the result. Um, I think I've played enough games with Eric that Eric would immediately know that I was going to fuck his shit up if I played a charming hero. <laughs> it's it's fine (laughs) it's fine this is fine that's literally what i picture in my head (laughs) so i wanted to uh talk about 
the duelist. You um, say duelist. Yes. So the quote is, when death is your dance partner, you truly know what it is to feel alive. What's that from? I've heard that. I don't know. But mm-hmm. look at the artwork on this. It is a dude in a perfectly tailored... You know who that looks like? Huh. Yes. Mike? Yeah. Yeah, I know it looks like Mike. Suave. But it is a man in a perfectly tailored white suit and a long black coat with a fucking fencing saber in his hand. (laughs) And so I mentioned that the charming heroes get tricks. Uh, Your class determines your level one tricks Uh, and all of your tricks, really, because you get a, you get a certain amount at level one and you get more as you go along. Um, And for the duelist, these tricks function very similarly to a battle master fighter. Um, And what I, their first ability is, while wielding a finesse weapon, you can roll one additional weapon damage die. So it's like, oh, you've got a, a knife. All right, well, that's finesse. Roll an extra damage die at goddamn level fucking one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the uh, the, the power, the, the level of like power here, I think it ends up balancing out because of the way that they do defense. But it just, it, it makes you feel, I don't know, it makes you feel dangerous. I guess in a way that you don't really you don't really feel dangerous in D&D until you get like much higher level. Yeah. I um, I think it comes back to what I said earlier that this feels like a system you use when you want to play in an action movie. The bird agrees. Also, uh I would just like to point out by the way, I I I feel like, you know, I want to give the smart heroes their due. Um there's a there's a class called the scientist in the smart heroes <laughs> and they and they make like potions and or potions quote unquote um and they have one that's called the can of whoop ass yeah um, yeah uh you essentially give a person this mixture it increases their movement speed by 10 feet their strength checks and saving throws that get advantage and they get a plus two on all damage rolls that they make that's just amazing. And then as you level up, all of your like concoctions or potions or whatever you want to call them get more powerful. That's just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, they're basically the alchemist from like other D settings, but modern day. Yeah. Yeah. And since we we talked about the smart heroes, um the wise hero has another has a class that I also think would really uh, uh, Ashley would really like called the hunter. Mm-hmm. So the quote here is um, tracking is about getting in the head of your prey, seeing through their eyes. Ain't that right? Big boo. And then the secondary quote, because it's a secondary character responding. Woof. Because big boo, big boo is a dog. <laughs> Um, the hunter gets a, an, a, like an animal. It's literally an animal companion. Um, and then they have just sort of like some basic stats. Uh, ape, canine, feline, and bird. It's like Lucky. It's not his name in um, Hawkeye. Yes, like yeah. Lucky. Because anybody can... I, I Based on what I was reading the rules, anybody can basically just have... Uh, an animal companion, but the hunter gets a lot of very specific things. 
It's so cool. Um, but yeah, it is very fun that you can just be like, yeah, I've I've just got this bird. He's my buddy. Yeah. Bird's claw and... attacks have penetration value one. Yeah. Yeah. It's oh my wild. God, you could have a Molotov cockatiel. A Molotov cockatiel, that's right. Mm. Um, I want it. I'm not going to spend any time talking about them, but it is also very relevant to know that one of the charming classes, charming hero classes is the icon. And you're literally just an influencer. (laughs) True. I mean, their shit is wild, like too wild to go into, but it is just very fun that you're an influencer. And, you know, you've got your basic finishing touches. You, you go into all your shit. But one thing that I like is for Eric or I making a character, this section wouldn't be necessary because we're incredibly experienced role players. But for me, but for you, there's a section called persona. And -hmm. what it is, is a series of questions to help you figure out who your character is. I like that motivation, attachment, biography, beliefs, role, appearance, virtues, flaws, quirks. And they have examples you know, like motivation, maybe you're motivated by your faith. Uh, you're a committed member of your faith and seek to uphold its values at all times. Maybe you have familial attachments, um, you know, different stuff like that. What are your philosophical beliefs? And for new players, this is an incredibly detailed questioning of like, who is this character that you're playing? Mm-hmm. It's it's not dissimilar from uh, the personality traits, ideals, and bonds in D&D that I suggest new players use, but I have never thought about once. Yeah, you have. Yeah, sometimes, but not really. Um, you did with Emmett. Yeah. Uh, next up is the equipment section. And equipment is when we get more detail on wealth and how that works. Um, it is actually incredibly ordinary. Like it's very straightforward. It's a level zero to six on page 130 of the book. It has like a description of each thing, but it's it's basically, hey, every piece of equipment you can get has a rate of a price rating. And if you have a wealth level of two and the price rating is two or lower, it's just assumed that you have the funds and the means to get that thing. But if it's like three, well, now you have to roll a die uh, to see if you have the means to get it. And I, I think that's cool. And of course, you do always have the option of switching professions and changing what your wealth level is. And they do have packs, which are like the Dungeoneering pack or the Adventurers pack from D&D. And there's also bulk, which is uh, how much stuff, instead of like using, hey, you can carry 500 pounds, it's like everything has a bulk rating. And the question is, how much bulk can you personally carry? Mm -hmm. And then your actual equipment is broken down into... uh, Basic equipment, advanced equipment, historical equipment, improvised equipment, or military equipment. And we mentioned earlier that because defense, whatever armor you might be wearing, like if you're 
a police officer, you might have body armor, and that does not come into play in your defense. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So instead, if you are wearing body armor, it has an armor value. And what that means is when you reach zero hit points, that armor value helps you avoid dying. Um, because just like in D&D, you have death saving throws. But if you're uh, if you were able, like if I'm punching you and you're wearing body armor, my fists are not going to penetrate that armor. But I bring you down to zero hit points. Well, now when you make you can make a armor saving throw. Ooh. And what that is, is DC 10 or half the damage, and you get to add your proficiency bonus because you are proficient in the armor. That's nice. Um, but if you succeed, you take no damage, but your armor is damaged and is no longer protecting you. Mm, that makes sense, though. Yeah. And if you fail, you just take the damage. Um and I, I just think that's and shields just offer cover, which mm-hmm. is also a good thing. The, um, the armor system in this is actually reminds me of a uh, combination of uh, how uh, Cyberpunk Red, the newest Cyberpunk uh, tabletop game, does their armor system, <clears throat> and um, how it's like a mixture between that and D and D's armor system because. In Cyberpunk Red, it's exactly the same thing. Whenever you take damage and you're wearing armor, you can make a save and instead have the armor take the damage and you just wear the armor out over time versus, you know, D&D where it's like either the armor reduces damage if you have certain feats or it just outright helps you avoid damage altogether. Yeah. Yeah, and I... I remember in the old D20 modern uh, armor was just damage reduction. Yeah, it was DR one, two, or th- one, two, or three, and then there were some like really exotic armors that could get DR four. Yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, it is fun that the improvised weapons, like as far as the the um, improvised melee weapons, some of your options, like some of it's specific. But most of it is just like object breakable, object unbreakable, object scary dangerous, thing small, thing <laughs> large. <laughs> I just love that terminology of like, yeah, it's a fucking thing. <laughs> also, the improvised armor provided is duct taped junk. And it's literally like if you we're stuck in a, a cafeteria and just duct taped a bunch of uh, cafeteria trays Trace to your together. body as armor. Oh my God. I love it. Um, duct tape oh armor God. is surprisingly effective actually. Yeah. Yeah. It just slows you down like all hell. Yeah. Um, and you do have like basic electronic stuff, um, carrying cases, uh, hardware, specialty goods, sporting goods is a section. Um, vehicles are cool because they have a price level. Like if you have a, um, you know, to go back, we were talking about customer service and uh, journalism professions have a wealth level of two. Well, a common car, just a regular car is a price level two. 
It is just assumed if you are working those jobs, you can afford a car. How good or bad that car is, who fucking knows? (laughs) (laughs) But it is a functioning car. Although there is a difference between a common car and a junker. I do like that. Uh, That is very fun for me. Um, And predictably, they have your, you know, there's a lot of chases are a big part of this system. Like there's a lot of rules on chases, which makes sense when you think about the uh, action movie vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, and out, you know, after vehicles, there are useful places. Um, so far, actually, I want to pause here for a minute. Actually, so far, how intriguing does this system sound? Intriguing enough that I want to play it because mean i want to play all systems let's be honest (laughs) but it sounds intriguing because it's easy for new players and even an experienced player it makes it easier to to set your character up because sometimes when i'm making a new character i'm like i don't have the patience for this yeah it's a lot of steps and that's and sometimes you're not in the mood for all that so feels easy to set your character up there's a lot of things that help you flesh out your character pretty easily and like with D, there are a lot of resources to help you flesh out a character but it already being available in the book is the most helpful honestly and plus everything has fun names that's true like it just makes it interesting because it's like hey we're going to have fun with this. We're going to have these really fun, like things that are popular in pop culture, um, action movies and superhero movies yeah, kind of thing. Um, and I like that. They know what they're about. Yeah. So useful places are broken down into armory, home, laboratory, safe house, storage unit, studio, and workshop. Um, and then they're like examples of different things as you go, like a price level one home is a small apartment in a bad neighborhood or maybe an old camper, whereas a price level five is a large mansion. Um, and these useful places are things that your character might have, you know, and you can have more than one. There's no limit in that regard, it's, but it is a matter of price, you know your wealth you like you're supposed to combine those together so if you want a safe house and a home but you only have uh, a journalist salary you're gonna have to make a roll and the rest of this we can pretty much breeze through because um for the most part it's all what you would expect out of a system like this you know the, the stuff available and things like that um Feats, I think, are the neat thing because you get either two minor feats, which is one classification of feats, and one major feat uh, every two levels. Yeah, this is the thing that reminds me the most of the of the old um, D twenty modern system because this was where your character customization was in previous D twenty modern, and it it feels like they've really kind of brought that back for this to give you this plethora of options that you can use to kind of shape your character in the way that you really want. 
Yeah, and it's your basic feats are all going to be um, some sort of training and, you know, gaining extra proficiencies or expertise or uh, ability score bonuses or increases. Um, although one of the basic minor feats is investments where you are able to increase your wealth level, um, which I find to be very fun. Um, and your all of your basic feats are minor, but your advanced feats um, which add a lot of really more fun stuff are broken down into minor and major. And then uh, the last little thing to really talk about in this system before we give our final thoughts is that multi-classing are feats. So like, let's say, Ashley, you're playing an agile hero, but you really like the uh, um, reckless attack mm-hmm. from the strong hero you can take a strong hero training uh, as long as you meet the prerequisites, which is second level and a strength of 13 or higher. And now you get uh, some more proficiencies and your reckless attack. Oh, nice. Um, And then you can kind of go further in from there um, and be like, well, I specifically want something from the brawler class. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's how multi-classing works. I think that's, really cool um shades of uh fourth edition D &D, mm -hmm. uh in there yeah and we've reached the uh end of this particular episode we we could go further into the weeds but i don't think it's really necessary um what are our final thoughts ashley as a, a player i think it sounds like a really fun system for the reasons i said just a little while ago because there is it's easier for someone who's just starting out in RPGs. Um, And it's fun specifically for that action type of stuff. You know, Mm -hmm. the, I mean, honestly, I was thinking, and this is so stupid. My dad loves the Fast and the Furious movies, and this would be a good Fast and the Furious. You could do Fast and the Furious (laughs) so easily. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but you could do any kind of like, kind of action movie trope or superhero thing would be really cool. You could do bones. Oh yeah, you could. You could do SVU too. Yep. Um what about you, Eric? Um so my perspectives are twofold, obviously, because I am both a player and a and a game master. From the game master perspective, I really like that they have created a system that is familiar but also different enough to kind of give not only you, the game master, but also your players, the ability to essentially play a game that has the same feeling, but kind of pushes it to almost not an extreme, but just like that next little level Mm -hmm. to, to, to give them like the, a little bit of meat to bite into because with this, you could honestly, depending on what level range you're running an adventure at, you could go from anything from, like you said, like um, like low level, like street level superheroes, um, you know, like noir style heroes, or you could do like, you know, Fast and the Furious, you know, you could do any action trope. All of them exist within this within this this book. From the perspective of a player. I love that they have brought back the customization 
um, and the ability for you to get really to to really do as little as you want, but also as much as you want, right? You can do the least and still have a really good solid character, or you can do the most and tailor your character to exactly what you want them to be. Yeah. I got to say the, the options here, both for a modern game or a, you know, uh, a period game really speaks to me as a GM. Like I was telling Ashley earlier today that I had an idea for a short run of this where everybody plays a suburban parent living in the (laughs) same cul-de-sac and your kids have been caught up, you know, got accidentally caught up in some sort of kidnapping thing. And now you have to go rescue them. And I think that this is perfect for that. Um, What's the movie? Date night. It have very date night. (laughs) It does. (laughs) Um, so from, from a player and a GM perspective, the spirit of this feels so much like the D20 modern. I loved so much, uh, when I was much younger and the fact that they have kept that while also, I think going in, like we, we keep saying action movies, action movies are fun. Like they're just fun. And this system feels like it's going to be very fun. Um, and with that, we're, we're done. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Hey. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our review of Everyday Heroes. We're very excited about it ourselves, and we'll be sure to have a game uh, exemplifying this system as soon as we can. But if you want to get yourself a copy, head over to evilgeniusgaming.com. All right. Have fun.